0: Again, like I opened up our time with uh, this, this evening. Here we are on Christmas Eve. It's that special time of the year where we gather together with loved ones and uh, people we haven't seen for a long time, possibly. And, and like I mentioned earlier, and I, I mentioned on Sunday, I think with, especially with everything going on with the pandemic over the past few months, time has absolutely flown by, hasn't it? Time is a funny way of sometimes feeling like it's rushing past and we're futilely trying to grab a hold of it. And other times, especially when we're in pain or going through a time of grief, time just crawls by. It just goes very, very slowly, right? It never seems to end. There's also a funny thing about time with how God sees it and operates both within and outside of time. The Apostle Peter references the Old Testament book of Psalms when he says, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. If you remember from this past Sunday, I mentioned that we were going to focus briefly this evening on the fact that it was the perfect time in human time. For the Messiah to be born. Perfect timing. There's a twofold reason for this, as the Apostle Paul describes in Galatians. In Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, he writes, in, in Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 5, he says, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we may redeem, uh, receive the adoption as sons and daughters. But the problem for the Jewish people for about 1,500 years before Jesus was born was this. For a lot of the Jewish people, not all, but for a lot of them, simply following the law as well as they deemed possible was good enough. For a lot of them, even being Jewish was simply just a, a cultural identity. They did not love God, they did not obey him, they didn't obey his law because they wanted to please him. They were just following the rules so they wouldn't be punished fathers here who wants your children to see you that way how many fathers want their their kids to see them that way I know I don't want my kids to see me that way just follow a bunch of rules so you don't get punished no I want them to love me and 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 then do that because they they, they love me that's the same exact way with God but and we reflect God in a very limited capacity. So by sending the Jewish people Jesus, God was reaching out to direct them through everything that Jesus said towards them, towards wanting to love him, not just follow the rules. He wanted the root of everything to be love for him. In short, at the time of the Messiah's arrival, the Jewish people were ready to grow up. They were ready to leave the confines of the Mosaic law and receive the full realization of their sonship and inheritance through the Messiah. That's the first of the twofold perfection of timing for Jesus' birth. Not only that, but messianic fervor among the Jewish people was at its height following some historical events. And that's what directly leads us to the second of the twofold uh, perfect timing. The timing was not only perfect for the Jewish people, but it was perfect for the entire world. It was the perfect timing in the history of the world, not because humanity had brought it about in and of itself, but because Father God had determined it to be so. It just so happened that this timing coincided with the ripest time in human history. God had worked everything out perfectly for the gospel through his son Jesus to enter the world. It was globalized enough to begin the work of evangelism. God had allowed the Greek culture and language to permeate the entire ancient European and Near Eastern world through the Hellenization program of Alexander the Great on every people group he had conquered. Everyone had some knowledge of how to speak Greek and most spoke it fluently. That in and of itself kicked the door wide open for Gentile people to hear about Jesus very easily and very effectively. When the Romans came on the scene, they did not adopt their own version of Alexander the Great's Hellenization program on the people groups they conquered as far as language was concerned. So even though at this point in this part of the world, everyone was pretty much under the Roman Empire's dominion, everyone was still speaking common Greek. But the Romans added their own achievements to this perfect global timing. Around the year 27 BC, following the final war of the Roman Republic, Caesar Augustus, you've heard that name before, ushered in the time period known as the Pax Romana, or uh, the uh, Roman peace, a time of relative earthly peace. This time period lasted about uh, uh, to the year 180 AD, which just so happened to include all 30-plus years that Jesus walked the earth, and the early church taking off. One of the reasons the church was able to establish such a strong foundation and expand so quickly was because of this time of relative stability. The stability encouraged travel and the dissemination of ideas, follow, including the gospel, all over the Roman Empire. Another major factor for this was the widespread system of roads, that the Romans had built to easily get to different places all over the empire. Where a Roman cavalry or dignitary could go, the gospel could go. This greatly helped the gospel get into as many ears as possible in a very short time. On top of all of this, the Jewish faith in the one true God was well established at this point in human history. So the Messiah that was prophesied about in that Jewish faith having been born and having died and rising again from the dead, would not have been completely foreign to even most Gentiles at that point. The Jewish faith had been well established in the world at that point through the Babylonian exile and other Jewish displacements. The Jewish people were spread out all over the world. And where they were, the faith and the one true God existed, as well as the prophecies about the Messiah. One last interesting tidbit about what Paul writes about about Jesus' birth here in Galatians 4 is this. There's strong evidence that this letter of Galatians was written only about 48 A.D. So if you do the math, that's only about how many years after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension back to heaven? Only about 15 to 18 years. That's huge that Paul is writing this about Jesus. It's only about 15 to 18 years after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. Keep that in mind. There was no question that Jesus had a mother. A lot of people called into question who his real father was, but everyone agreed that he was born from a woman. So why would Paul include that in Galatians chapter 4? There's a reason for it. Especially in the region of Galilee, everyone knew his mother Mary. This was in direct fulfillment of Genesis 3:15, where the prophesied Messiah was declared to be the seed of a woman. Very interestingly, by Paul including "born of a woman," when he didn't necessarily have to, in Galatians 4, this is the very first written-down reference to the virgin birth of Jesus. It was if Jesus was born of a man too, Paul would have no need to mention that Jesus had had a mother. That's Paul's point in writing that Jesus had a a, a biological mother but no biological father, a clear reference to the fact that she was a virgin. If this letter was written around 48 AD, which again, there's strong evidence for, only about 15 to 18 years after Jesus, who was still around? Plenty of people who were around during that entire time. Plenty of people around to refute and call what Paul is implying here a bold-faced lie. Those would be some guts that Paul would have had to have to imply such a bold-faced lie, especially if he's trying to get people to see that he was right with, with his original intention by writing this letter, telling them about Jesus, telling them about faith in Jesus, by Paul including this fulfillment of the uh, isaiah messianic prophecy referring to the messiah being born of a virgin woman this must already be have been an established belief in the early church or else it wouldn't have been referenced at all he knew it to be absolutely true and recorded it outright only 15 to 18 years after christ's death and resurrection that's huge because the gospels came sometime later they were written sometime later This was one of the very first books to be written in the New Testament. And here, Paul is very clear about Jesus' virgin birth. So in looking at all this interesting information about everything that led up to Jesus' birth, the timing truly was perfect. And the purpose of Jesus' birth was perfect. To call his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters back to loving God and repenting of their sin and seeing him as the perfect sacrifice for their sin. And to call pagan Gentiles, most of us sitting here probably, pagan Gentiles, to repent of, of their sin and put their faith in Jesus' death and resurrection as well. So it's not only just perfect for informational purposes, but it's an, it's perfect for the message that's found in that as well. The message found at the end of Galatians 4, verse 5, that we might be adopted into God's family as his sons and daughters. That was the whole point of it. That was the whole purpose of it. The Bible is very clear that that adoption can only happen not through a cultural identity, not just by following a bunch of rules as best as possible, not even just trying to generally be a good enough person. It can only happen by placing our faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross and then rising again from the dead three days later. That's the only way. If we recognize that our sin separates us from God and renders us helpless to do anything about it ourselves, and recognize that Jesus paid the penalty for that sin, death, both deaths, physical death and the second death or banishment to hell, on our behalf, we have the foundation for our repentance, all the foundation we ever possibly could have. If we go to God and tell him that we repent and turn from a life directed by sin because Jesus made it possible to be forgiven of our sin and we ask him for forgiveness of that sin, we receive that adoption into God's family. In short, we get the greatest Christmas gift of all. We get God himself. All of who he is, both in this life and for all of eternity. That is the greatest gift we could ever hope to receive during this Christmas season, God himself. As we celebrate the birth of our Savior and King, let us not only marvel and worship God for orchestrating everything in human history to line up perfectly for his Messiah's arrival, but let us also marvel and worship God for that Messiah making it possible for us to be adopted into God's family forever and ever. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this time that we've been able to spend together this evening. We thank you for the music that we've been able to sing together, the music we've been able to hear, hearing from your word, having that read to us, the Christmas story. I pray that this wouldn't just be the same Christmas as as years before. If we haven't put our faith and trust in Jesus for, for salvation from our, from our sin, I pray that we would do that right now. And, Lord, if we've done that, I pray that you would light a fire in us, make us excited about all that that offers to us, and make us excited about sharing that with one other person, especially as we're gathering with others during this week. And, Lord, we raise your name on high, and to you be all the glory, and we thank you. We thank you that you saw us in our helpless state, in our sin, and you made a way for us through sending your Son to take our place so that we might be adopted into your family. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.